0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn in them to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. As you know, we are currently considering these selected psalms uh, from, uh, from this, this book of the Psalter, and many of these psalms are psalms that we sing in our corporate worship service. And so uh, this morning we come to a, a, a very wonderful and comforting psalm, Psalm 46, and it is a psalm that we will uh, sing also after the conclusion of this sermon. So Psalm 46, hear now the word of our God. to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamath, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he write this word upon our hearts this morning. <clears throat> well, the great reformer Martin Luther lived in a world that was filled with turbulence, uncertainty, and trouble. Not only was life in the late Middle Ages difficult, it was uh, a life that was filled with disease, death, a life uh, void of of many of the modern comforts that we take for granted today. Uh, But furthermore, Luther was was going against the very order and structure of the Western world as he defied uh, the papacy in his his day. This, of course, would have been a a very disorienting uh, experience, an experience that probably made him feel as if the world was giving way underneath his feet. Now, Luther lived uh, and viewed the world in a theocentric way. He acknowledged that God was sovereign and that, and that he, God was the creator and preserver of all that exists. Uh, the world was not merely um, the, the work of natural, natural forces. God was intimately involved in his creation. Underneath God's sovereign reign was a devil who, was, who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, as Peter says. And Luther had a very vivid, vivid understanding of this spiritual warfare. In fact, it's reported, we don't know if it's, um, if it's apocryphal or not, but when he was translating the Bible into the German Language at the Wartburg Castle, he threw his inkwell against the wall as a, an attempt to fight off the devil. So, of course, Luther was facing uh, much external and physical opposition, but at the same time, he knew behind this physical opposition was a spiritual battle. Now, Psalm 46 is a psalm of comfort and confidence in the Lord during those times when it feels as if the very footing beneath our feet is giving way. Consequently, then, Psalm 46 was a psalm that was near and dear to the soul of Martin Luther. In fact, this psalm inspired Luther to compose one of the greatest hymns ever ever composed in the history of the church, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In fact, we will be singing a, a version of this hymn after the conclusion of this sermon. Now, of course, we, we don't live in the same age as the psalmist lived in. We don't live in the 16th century as Luther did. Our, our worlds are very different than that of the psalmist and, and of Luther. However, what unites us to both Luther and the psalmist of Psalm 46 is that we live in a turbulent, uncertain, and trouble-filled world. Oftentimes, when the the chaos and turbulence of this world rears its head in our face, uh, we we begin to fear. Our souls begin to mirror the chaos that has entered our life. Our souls become noisy and, and active. And thus, if you look with me at verse 10, God, through the psalmist, calls us in moments like these to be still. Literally, what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, stop, cease the fretting, and step back and give yourself space to know, to know that I am God, to know that I'm your God. In the midst of the chaos and turbulence and trouble that you are feeling. What I would like us to do this morning then is to look at this psalm through the lens of that first half of verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. So first we're going to consider uh, this call to be still. We live in a chaotic, turbulent world. Uh, This is why God calls us to be still. But then uh, secondarily, we'll consider how we are called to know, to recall, to remember who our God is in the midst of this world. Well, if you look with me at verse 1, this psalm begins in a wonderful way as, as the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, this word trouble refers to the very opposite of salvation and deliverance. What do you think of when you think of the opposite of deliverance? The opposite of, of salvation. Well, we probably think of threats. We think of danger. We think of being cut off from security, from one's hopes and dreams and goals. We think of trouble surrounding us. Now, the psalmist be, uh, continues in verse 2 and says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart Of the sea. Boys and girls, imagine that. Imagine the mountains that surround us, uh, where we are at uh, here in Washington. Imagine those mountains being being, uh, uh, taken up into the heart of the sea. That would be a terrifying experience. Now, John Calvin, as he interprets verse 2, he says that the psalmist here is using hyperbole. And in the Old Testament, the sea is a symbol or a picture of chaos and judgment. This is why uh, we learn in Genesis that God destroys the earth with the waters of a flood. This is why God destroyed the Egyptians through the waters of the Red Sea. In the Hebrew mind, water, the sea, uh, this was, it was a scary place. It was chaos. It was judgment. Furthermore, mountains were a symbol of stability. It's sort of the opposite of the sea. This is part of the reason why God's presence is depicted as existing at the top of Mount Zion. And so you have sea as a picture of chaos and you have mountains as a symbol and picture of stability. And so here in verse 2, the psalmist is, is referring to those times when the mountains of stability in our life are swallowed up with the chaotic waters of uncertainty. Think about the things in your life that you depend upon. <laughs> the things uh, in your life that you look to for security, for stability. You might think of, of your finances. You might think of having an uh, emergency fund, having retirement, having a certain income. That gives you stability. It gives you security. You might think of the talents, abilities, or education that you have that allows you to earn that income. You might think of the ability that you have to think, to move, to operate, and and thus to, to just enjoy the common blessings of this life. You might think of the relationships that you have, the community that you have, that serves as that social capital which allows you to absorb the blows of life. You might think of your family, your marriage, your children. You may think of the health of of yourself and of your loved ones. All of these things are things that, that we look to for stability, that give grounding underneath our feet. Now, what happens when you lose your job? What happens when you have an accident, when you have a diagnosis, and thus you are disabled and unable to work? Unable to enjoy the common blessings of this life. Unable to move, to operate, to think. What happens when a loved one gets sick and and dies? What happens in in those moments? Well, those moments feel as if the the mountains, the mountains of stability in your life are being swallowed up by the chaos of the sea. Those are the moments when it feels as if the the sure footing that used to exist underneath your feet is gone. Those are the moments when you feel like you're flailing in a storm at sea. For honest with ourselves, each and every moment we live, there is the real possibility that the, these things that we depend upon, these things that we look to for security, could be gone. In fact, if you think about the amount of things that could go wrong in your life at any given moment, it's a wonder that we, we have any sanity at all. We have very little control over these things and our possession of these things that we look to for security and for stability. Now, some of us are more prone to anxiety than others. Some of us are, are inclined to meditate, ruminate upon, upon the sea, upon the uncertainty that exists in all of our lives, and some of us are, 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 have, have an easier time embracing the uncertainty but at the end of the day, when the floodwaters are released into our life and swallow up these mountains of stability, it oftentimes leaves us in a place of, of fear. It leaves us in a place in which our inward man, our souls, our minds are noisy and active. Our souls a mirror the chaotic waters that have entered our life. And therefore, it's in in this context that the psalmist, or God, through the psalmist says, be still. Be still. Even when the sea is raging all around you, be still. Stop. Cease. Step back for a moment. Give yourself space to remember. To remember the things that that you know to be true. Of course, this isn't necessarily a rebuke. It's not sinful for us to feel fear or to feel uh, angst when, when these things happen in, in our life. Uh, but what God is telling us here is to be mindful, to step back and anchor ourself in him. And so that's what he says uh, that we are to do in, in, in the second part of that phrase in verse 10. We are to be still so that we may call to mind who God is. If, if God just said be still, that's not very helpful. But God adds to that and tells us where we are to anchor ourselves. We are to anchor ourselves to God. We are to know who God is for us. Well, what are we to know about this God? This uh, God, through the psalmist, calls us to, to know, to know that, that I am God. Well, what are we to know about this God? Well, first we are to know that he is with us. Three times in Psalm 46, we hear this promise that God is with his people. So if you look at verse 1, we read that God is a very present help in trouble. In the midst of the sea, God is present. Verse 7 and verse 11, we read that the Lord of hosts is with us. We are to anchor ourselves upon this promise. God is with his people. Now, how is God with us? Well, you'll again notice in verse 7 and 11 that the title that the psalmist uses to refer to God is this title of Lord or Yahweh. Uh, It's Lord in all caps. This refers to how God is a God who has established a covenant with his chosen people. God is a God who has made an oath-bound commitment to his chosen people. And we know that Jesus Christ, that long-awaited seed of the woman, is the mediator within this covenant. He is the one who stands between God and sinful man. Consequently, we can be assured, we can know that in Christ, we have the complete and full forgiveness of sins. For all of our sins, not just our past sins, but even our future sins that we have not yet committed, they've been washed away. We can know that in Christ we stand completely and definitively righteous in the sight of God, not based on our inward morality, Or external morality, but based on the morality of Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. We know that in Christ, we have the third person of the Trinity dwelling within us. We are living stones that make up that new covenant tabernacle. And so, in Christ, in Christ, we can have a relationship with God. In Christ, we can be assured that God is with us. Not in judgment, but in grace. Now this promise of God's presence, it doesn't mean that, that, that the trials, the tribulations, that the sea will reside, will go away. God's never promised us an easy life. God's never promised us a, a suffering free life. In fact, if you look at verse, verse 2, this whole psalm, this whole psalm is, is about confidence and comfort in the midst of the trouble. So in verse 2 we read, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. The psalmist assumes that the earth is going to give way, that there are going to be times in your life that it feels as if the earth is giving way. So God does not promise that the earth isn't going to give way, metaphorically speaking. And so how does this promise of God's, God's presence comfort us if, if it doesn't mean that he will keep us from trial and tribulation? Well, this promise is a comfort to us because we know that God is our Father and not our judge. God is our Father, and as as a consequence, He promises that He will provide all that you need, both body and soul, for as long as He's ordained to put breath in your lungs. That's what God promises, in the good times and the bad times. God promises that whatever adversity He permits to enter your life, He will turn it for your good. That is to say, for your conformity into the image of of His Son. God promises that that He has good and perfect purposes for everything that enters your life. And He will use every circumstance to to build and grow muscle upon your faith. We can have confidence that God will do these things uh, because... He is our almighty God. He is able to do all this and more. But furthermore, we know that he is also desirous and willing to do these things because he's our Father. And so yes, this promise of God's presence is a comfort because of who God is as our Father and this psalm calls us to anchor in this promise. During those times when the sea of life seems to wash away the mountain of stability uh, that, we, that we look to for, to find a uh, sure footing in this life. Well, the second thing that God about God that we are called to remember, that we are called uh, to have in the forefronts of our mind, is the fact that God has granted us citizenship in his holy city. So if you look with me in verses 4 and 5, The psalmist says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The psalmist here is speaking about the glory and the beauty of Jerusalem. God's holy city for the Old Testament people of God. And this river that the psalmist alludes to is likely the the stream of of Shiloh that flowed through this holy city. This river uh, serves as a symbol of God's presence and blessing for his covenant people. This river stands in stark contrast to that raging sea of verse 2 that swallows up the mountain, or the mountains. And this river is reminiscent of the rivers of Eden, those four rivers that that flowed through uh, the paradise of the Garden of Eden in which God had placed our first parents. Uh, This river also calls to mind uh, what John says as he gets a vision of the consummation of the new creation in Revelation 22. uh, When John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And so this river points the people of God backwards and forwards. Well, in the historical context, the psalmist is taking refuge, comfort, in his connection to this earthly city of Jerusalem. Now, what does this mean for us? We have no connection to the earthly city of Jerusalem. And so what, what, what comfort is, is this to us? Awesome. Well, we read in Hebrews 10, verse 16, uh, the author of the Hebrews talks about how, how the patriarch Abraham, when God promised him the land of Canaan and the earthly city of Jerusalem, Abraham recognized that, that this land and this city were, were merely symbols for the new creation, for the heavenly city of God. So when we think about this earthly city in Psalm 46, we should raise our minds to the heavenly city of of the new creation that God promises to all those who profess faith in his Son. Uh, Revelation uh, uh, 21 uh, continues to to speak about this consummation of, of this new creation, this heavenly Jerusalem and says that this new creation will be an age in which the sea will be no more. So yes, in this age, verse two is a reality. There are many times in which it feels like the chaotic waters of this life uh, erode away the securities that we look to, the stabilities that we look to. However, we are looking forward to an age in which the sea will be no more. Trials and tribulation and sufferings will be gone. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is speaking to these Christians in the church of Philippi. And he he recognizes that these Christians in Philippi are rubbing shoulders with people whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose minds are devoted to earthly things. But he reminds these Christians that their ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And because of this reality, they're looking forward to a time when their bodies will be transformed to mirror the very human nature of Jesus Christ, and that this is a sure and steadfast hope. Uh, We are the only people who have a sure and certain hope. Uh, The way hope is used in our everyday speech is it describes a desirable outcome that is uncertain. But biblical Christian hope is categorically different. Yes, it describes desirable things, the greatest things one could conceive us conceive of, but these things are not uncertain. They are certain and sure and steadfast. And so uh, the comfort that this is to us as a pilgrim people is that we know that whatever we go through in this life, we have a certain hope that exists beyond this veil of tears, a hope of a heavenly Jerusalem, uh, a city of which Christ has made us citizens. And this citizenship is irrevocable. If you continue on in in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, the author of the Hebrews continues to speak about uh, this heavenly city of Jerusalem. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, the author, uh, as he's speaking about church, moments like this, Lord's Day worship, the author of the Hebrews says, But you, Christians, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The author of the Hebrews is saying, When we gather together on Sundays, we are experiencing a foretaste of the consummation of this new creation. We are experiencing our citizenship. The church, in this sense, is like an embassy of our homeland. And so what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of our services together? Well, it's to remind you of where your refuge and strength truly lies. It's to remind you that even though the the stabilities and securities in your life may give way, there is one mountain that will never give way. God is our refuge and our strength and he promises to be present among us. He promises that we will one day be where Christ is. And these are the promises that we are called to anchor ourselves to in the midst of the storming and raging sea that we experience in this present evil age. So, congregation of Christ, be still And know that God is your God, your present God, who has granted you citizenship in his holy city. Let us pray.